You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I am going to be your sleepy, disoriented host, Abraham. And I'm going to be your, did I wake up here? Host, Shane. (laughs) The hangover? (laughs) Hey, Shane. What's up? Have you experienced jet lag? Not that I know of, actually. And I've traveled a lot. Yeah, see, I know know even recently you went to Hawaii all the way from Florida, and that's like a six-hour time difference. It didn't even require an adjustment, which was very strange. Like, I was, like, able to, like jump right in and just be totally like totally fine it was a very strange experience i expected to be thrown off by the time change and the only thing that threw me off was the fact that i was teaching but i had to teach at like midnight or at like noon and not at like 6 p.m on those days like that was the only thing that kind of messed me up but that was just like scheduling that wasn't even jet lag you were basically already operating on hawaii time I'm operating on the time that I feel like maybe Matthew McConaughey from True Detective is operating on, where he just kind of like is like it's very metaphysical and it's just like time is a flat circle, man. <laughs> like very like that's just kind of how I operate, I think. Have you ever experienced it? Kinda. Uh not really. I've only ever gone three hours in one particular direction. So I feel like I have not had an opportunity to experience it very severely. The most obvious experience i ever had was traveling three hours west and then waking up at like six in the morning feeling like i was ready for the day to start and i was like fully awake and alert and ready to go yeah which is very common for a lot of people but not for me and so (laughs) (laughs) so i was like i like i roll out of bed six i'm like oh man what a good night's sleep let's uh let's go do something and like no one else in the hotel is awake yet (laughs) there's like a concierge who's down below all blurry eyed like what are you doing? What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> like, how dare you go back to bed? I would love to like stay at a hotel that like somebody did that. Like somebody gets up to like go for a run and the concierge is like, no, <laughs> go back to bed. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know how like, like when kids get up out of bed in the middle of the night, like, no, it's time. It's not time to wake up yet. Like the day has not started. The sun is not up. Yeah. Stop it. Weirdo. <laughs> I love it. I have a little bit of, of a uh, background and intro on this before we even like really dive into this. So, uh-huh. Interestingly, the United States did not get time zones until 1883, and I promise this is related. Oh, I know, right? Okay. Well, and really, in fact, until then, most cities and towns in the United States, they kept their own time and didn't really need to bother coordinating their time across different locations. That is such chaos. I mean, it kind of wasn't, though, because it didn't matter. You weren't really communicating or interacting with people in different towns at that in, in the 1800s. Like if you were going to communicate, it was sending a, a letter through some kind of mail service. And then it was going to be like, even if it, the town was like 20 miles away, it was like a, a two week <laughs> thing for it to get there. So yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So yeah. Like it just, it didn't, it didn't really matter. And so we didn't start looking at time zones until the advent and proliferation of trains, which had sort of a one-two punch effect. One is now all of a sudden we could traverse relatively long distances in record time, although it took a while for that system to expand very far across the country. People still weren't traveling really long distances, but definitely more than they would have been in a single go beforehand. Yeah. And also they were traveling north to south, 
which meant they weren't really crossing a lot of time zones. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. The second part of this is because these trains were operating on a shared rail system, they had to have a very precise schedule that they operated on, which meant that they had to have a precise timeline that was unified across places. Because if they had one set of rails, then trains could be running right into each other, which they did Ugh. if they didn't have precise schedules that were kept very strictly. It's wild to think about like that was like coordinating as a, a fairly recent development. Yeah. And in, even still with this, this only resulted in a more unified system of keeping time. We still didn't have a concept really that rapid travel would affect us psychologically or that we'd have to account for the fact that the travel was going to mean our days were experienced differently. Arguably, probably around that time, too, the idea of like studying how brains work was probably not up on the list of things to worry about, especially given like dysentery and the consumption <laughs> were real things back then. Yeah, no, it was all magic. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. You just pour whiskey on it and pull the bullet out. It's fine. So, <laughs> so the ability to travel far enough, fast enough to experience what essentially led to something that we now call jet lag. Right. So it wasn't really considered until the invention of the airplane and even then not until people were flying airplanes great distances so the wright brothers weren't really concerned about that it wasn't until we were flying across the ocean and doing more of that stuff so this is just in the last several decades the jet lag has become a thing that we, that it's been a phenomenon that we've been interested in studying yeah and, and even though people did travel great distances historically like i think you know some people might be thinking well people have they crossed the oceans way before we had airplanes. They were traveling across continents, and that's true, but they traveled so slow that they were unlikely to really notice any shift in their perception of the rotation of the Earth relative to their starting location. And so you, you can imagine that they, a bunch of these people were just like, well, the Earth must be flat because no matter how far I go, it just feels like I have a normal day. But no, even back then, they were smart enough to realize that we're on a spherical planet. We've known that for a very long time, so really no excuses for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah b.o.b and other people who are celebrities that think about this <laughs> so today we're talking about jet lag we're gonna talk about what it is why it happens and how people have attempted to overcome it and how it affects us psychologically and physiologically too apparently and physiologically yes so this is another entry in our sleep series so we'll have to curate that and put that out for everybody because this is another interesting one in that realm spoiler alert we do. We need like a whole sleep playlist that is uh, everything, everything wrong about sleep, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can put it on sleep hygiene. We can put on insomnia. We can put on sleepwalking, hint for a later episode. We can put on ASMRs. So it's, it's really great. Sleep paralysis is another one we've done. Sleep paralysis, yeah. yeah. So we've, we've talked about sleep quite a bit. All right. In case you've never heard of this somehow, we'll go ahead and define it for you really quick. There are a few names for this, and they aren't going to help you in the definition, but just so you know that they're out there, uh, we have circadian rhythm desynchronosis, mm. sometimes just called desynchronosis, which is a fun word. Yeah, that is a good word. This is jet lag, and this is, quote, a recognized sleep disorder that results from crossing time zones too rapidly for the circadian clock to keep pace, end quote. And this comes from a writer whose last name is Sack in uh, 2010. Although it's difficult to pin down who coined the term jet lag and when, one source identified an article in the Los Angeles Times in February of 1966, which described it as a, quote, debility not unakin to a hangover, end quote. I don't know. It's interesting that the Los Angeles Times would coin that. And actually, I found multiple sources that specifically referenced that article as being the first time that it was ever written, the term jet lag, and where that 
term was in fact coined. So I'm assuming that that is correct, but I also was like, that does seem like an odd place for that to show up. But I guess like thinking about LA and like the sixties and seventies and eighties and just like kind of the history that's going on there. I feel like hangover was probably like in strength in their lexicon. <laughs> that's fair. But also an interesting <laughs> sort of uh, under the radar thing on that was 1966. Like we didn't have this term until well after we had regular flying and flight and travel. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing that that it took that long for that to become a, a term that we use regularly. Yeah, my mother was one when they dis- when they coined that term. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> However, there was another source that cited American aviator Wiley Post, who at least predicted and described the effect of jet lag. He didn't call it jet lag, obviously, before his death in 1935. So this would have been well before that. And so, as I said, he was a pilot. So according to an article on Slate.com, Post had written, quote, I knew that the variance in time as we progressed would bring on acute fatigue if I were used to regular hours, end quote. And they also quoted a 1958 article on Popular Mechanics saying, quote, flying around the world at nearly the speed of sound will throw your eating and sleeping schedules off as never before. You can make a mental adjustment by simply resetting your watch while whizzing over the time zones of Paris, Beirut, or Karachi, but your body doesn't change its routine so easily, end quote. And so, yeah, we had these concepts well before we actually had the term, but Post was already, he, I mean, he was so far ahead of his time, he was predicting the variance of Loki. <laughs> yeah, he was, I mean, it's it's wild. I mean, where do you think, where do you think Disney got their ideas from? <laughs> Obviously, totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know. So, this is not quite a hangover, though, like going back to the, the article from the LA Times, right? The question that we're going to ask and kind of like explore here is like, what does it feel like and kind of who it, who it affects, right? So, does this actually happen to everyone? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. This is a thing that really happens. 94% of people report experiencing it when they travel, and 45% say that their experience is severe. So think about that for a second. 94% of people have reported experiencing this. That's a pretty significant number of like people reporting a particular experience. Now, I know we have a, a lot of math-savvy listeners, but just, just in case, I'm going to go ahead and say... is most people. (laughs) That's that is accurate. If you were looking at a pie chart and in in 94% were a color, it would take up most of the pie chart. (laughs) That's right. And 45% is almost half. That's just barely. I'm still (laughs) quite a bit. Right. I'm mansplaining percentages right now. (laughs) That is awesome. That is. This is my favorite segment on the show ever. (laughs) The mansplaining segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should just do that. Did you know that forty five percent is almost half? <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I've been on a kick of like saying the most obvious thing I can as as being like a joke that I make. The, yeah. the other day, I was talking about how one of the reasons that some cars have spoilers is because if you go fast enough, you can actually get your your wheels can come up off the the pavement, and the spoiler helps keep the car to the ground. And I said. I'm given to understand that the recommendation is that you have all, all four wheels on, on the road, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. <laughs> that's great. I think that, I think that's wonderful. Like, I think it's like, it's like, it's like just going so much further than like, just like a simple explanation. Like, it's like, it's like the actual simplest explanation. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Humans prefer not to have headaches. That's why we take Tylenol. Yeah. You know, I feel like I may as well like really lean into the sort of silliness of like mansplaining everything and like yeah. what that is. And so just sort of saying very obvious things I've, I find I sort of ironically funny, I guess I'm so hipster yeah. like that. I appreciate that kind of humor. Okay, great. 
Okay, so going back to actually talking about our our subject <laughs> at hand here, we're talking about jet lag, what it's like. Now, this is characterized by a lot of different symptoms. We're going to talk about that more in a moment as we go over the effects of jet lag and why they can be problematic. But this is generally characterized by experience such as insomnia, obviously some daytime sleepiness, some fatigue, lack of alertness. In addition to that, you can have digestion issues, feeling disoriented. Some people report having some sort of depressive symptoms and that sort of thing. And again, we'll, we'll revisit the list of effects that can happen. All of those are going to be on there. But that's sort of a characteristic experience of what it's like when you do have jet lag. And what is interesting about this is this is not a particularly human phenomenon. So like when people are, you know, when we talk about jet lag and, and the idea of it and just kind of like understanding and being aware of time, that's not really what's happening here. So in 2006, a study from the University of Virginia found that this had an effect on mice. So they simulated flying mice from Washington to Paris where they would reset their, their clocks every seven days. They would advance their clocks about six hours or advance their schedules every six hours to mimic that type of change in their schedule. Right. What they found was that younger mice, they handled this relatively well. They were okay and they adjusted to it. But the older mice, they actually died at a higher than expected rate when they were experiencing this Washington to Paris flight. And they probably would have been fine, except that they were flying them coach on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> so the most uncomfortable of airlines, <laughs> the most uncomfortable of airlines. Just kidding. I don't know. Frontier, Frontier is pretty uncomfortable too. Yeah, yeah. I know. There's plenty we could throw under the bus. <laughs> that, you know, the fact that they over time they've decided really what we need is more bodies on planes, and so they just squished the chairs closer and closer together until now we're just standing on planes. Yeah, that's why I don't fit on planes. Yeah, exactly. It's the worst. Anyway, kidding. Obviously, they weren't actually on planes. That would have been very expensive, probably. They were just advancing, as you said, their sleep clock by waking them up and then sort of keeping their daylight hours shifted, and they were able to create changes to the day-night cycle equivalent to what that flight would entail. Yep. So like you see here, this is one study that demonstrates that it's it's cross species. Yeah. Just as you're saying, not uniquely human. Yeah. To the point you were making, which which I think is a really good one, is that you might have the thought that like, oh, it's because we have sort of a verbal mental construct of what time is and how it passes. That's not the case. We actually have like a biological physiological response to the passage of time and daylight cycles. Yeah, absolutely. And this is further demonstrated in a 2010 study from University of California, Berkeley, where they similarly tortured hamsters in the same way. They changed the, the time and they did all this. Not so nice. I'm not I'm not really a fan of what they did to these animals. You know, they, what they say, hamsters are the guinea pig of the jet lag research world. <laughs> that is a that is a phrase that people say. <laughs> <laughs> so and so what they did was they advanced six hours, but they did this every three days instead of every seven days. So yeah. when they would change these clocks, it's more frequent, the change that they were looking at. Yeah. Now, what was was interesting about this, too, and something I was thinking about as they were describing the study, a question that I had is, were they just not getting enough sleep? And that's why. And actually, that wasn't the case. What The, the animals were getting the same amount of sleep. It's just that the times during which their day and night cycle occurred were now different. They were advanced the six hours. But even just doing that, even with the appropriate amount of sleep, but by changing the their day-night cycle, they were demonstrating with these hamsters that they were worse at learning tasks and they were failing other memory tests or just not doing as well. Like being able to recall all the characters in the plot of of the movie Aquaman. <laughs> they just couldn't do it. I don't 
don't even know if I could do that. <laughs> no, I'm t- totally kidding. I remember there were crab people. I was going to joke about it being the Great Gatsby, but then I was like, that's actually not that complicated of a movie. It's <laughs> like three so. main people. Yeah, yeah. I figured it'd be better to go with Aquaman where it was this convoluted mess of a story. So. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Great Gatsby, I don't know the name of the primary protagonist. Oh, it's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> So part of the study, too, that was really interesting is that they found a 50% decrease in new neural growth in the hippocampus, hip, hippocampi, hippocampi of these hamsters. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Plural. Folks, if you're listening, what is the plural of hippocampus? I imagine it's hippocampi, but it's campuses. So maybe it's hippocampuses or hmm, I don't know. Hippocamps. Hippocamps, which sound horribly distressing given that hippos are violent creatures do not go to the hippocamp (laughs) do not go to the hippocamp you will get trampled so this is really interesting though because this demonstrates that there is a neurological effect of this type of shift in scheduling or the shift in activity even across this this smaller species yeah with all this talk of hippos i almost forgot that we were talking about (laughs) just reiterate the point that you made because now i feel like i almost forgot what it was is that yeah there was decreased cell growth neural cell growth that would have been expected in hippocampus of normal hamsters but in this case they saw that decreased by as much as 50 percent, which is a lot and was a particularly an area of concern And on that note, both with this research and just the experience that people have with jet lag, the Pentagon has expressed concern that jet lag could impair pilots' performance that could ultimately endanger soldiers and missions that they were trying to accomplish because they're sending them on, you know, tasks that require them to fly long distances and that that might have this adverse effect on their ability to, you know, bomb the right people. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but this is also like a, a legitimate concern for our capitalist friends in major companies, right? So they have expressed concern that executives traveling for business meetings would be jet lagged and subsequently make worse deals. So thankfully, a global pandemic has taught us to use Zoom for these types of meetings. So these poor, poor souls, these executives can mercifully bring their A game to these meetings while they sit in just their underwear and their $2 million high rise condos. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I was totally obviously, in case you, it wasn't obvious, uh, um, being intentionally flippant about the idea of, of bombing people. That's obviously not something we condone. And anyway, they solved it with drones. So <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> We're going to save that for the, the new show that shows up on our podcast network on why we do what we do. Politics edition. Simply called politics. Yep. Yep. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> All this leads us to the question, does sleep matter? And if you've listened to this show for the last, I don't know, ever, then (laughs) you know that the answer is yes. Yes, it does matter. Yeah, that gets its whole bullet point. Just yes. (laughs) 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 Important to note (laughs) that. Yes, yes. Well, and we've mentioned this a bunch of times, so I'm not going to go specifically into some of the, the sleep hygiene and stuff, but. Essentially, I think what's important to understand when we're talking about jet lag is that our mind, our bodies, our behavior, we get into a pattern of activities and sleeping on a regular cycle following the sort of day-night cycle of the world as it rotates toward and away from the sun, which it does because it's spherical. (laughs) I'm never going to stop making that point (laughs) until flat earthism is gone. Okay, so I like it. There's the sleep-wake cycle. This is called, for many people have heard this, the circadian rhythm. And what's interesting about this that I learned in preparing for this is that there are 
20,000 nerve cells in something called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. I think I'm saying that right. Or the SCN. It's a part of our brain. It sits relatively close to where uh, the optic nerve comes into our brain, sort of near the front and toward the bottom of our brain, in case you were wondering. Yep, yep. This regulates glands that release hormones that are adjust our body temperature that is relative to our 24-hour sleeping-waking cycle because our body temperature is one of the relevant factors that's sort of a cue that participates in our ability to sleep and sleep comfortably and sleep fully. So one of the cues from this comes from light that hits our optic nerves and, and actually produces melatonin, which human beings naturally produce to help kind of trigger sleep. And this kind of got us wondering about people without sight. So according to the Ask a Scientist Reddit, blind people experience jet lag less than people with full sight. So that could be another potential cure when we get to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if jet lag is that much of a problem, then be blind, lose your. Yeah, be blind. <laughs> Also, interestingly, this is why melatonin can help you get to sleep and why blue light filter glasses do nothing beyond a placebo effect. Oh, there you go. Nailed it. Because they're not actually regulating the day-night cycle. They're just sitting on your face. Mm -hmm. That's all they're doing. Making you feel like they're doing something. Yeah. And placebo effects are fun things. So yeah, they're fun because of the temperature and light issues. Even with sufficient sleep, people might feel poorly rested and mentally fatigued because body temperature is off because of our internal clock. So it's worse, the further away you go. So uh, with a maximum of 12 hours, if you go at the 12 hour mark, it becomes a real, a real mess, <laughs> but it's like the further you go, the worse that temperature regulation gets to. Yeah. And I mean, it's just sort of, you know, it's the joke of like how far can a bear go into the woods halfway and that's because like once you get to 12 hours off of where you're normally at any further than you're actually closer to that's you know that cycle starting over and any less than that and again you're closer to that cycle starting over and 12 hours is as off as you can possibly be yeah that's literally as far as you can go yeah i mean that's just it's just the nature of, of how math works, you know. <laughs> also how globes work. And how globes work and, you know, the relative to the spinning of our planet, those sorts of things. Yeah. Some researchers have found that there is essentially a single gene that is responsible for jet lag. This is the LHX1 gene. So, again, you sort of speak to, okay, well, if we have a gene responsible for jet lag, should we just turn that gene off? God, no. <laughs> Do not do that. The reason that this works is this gene actually helps you be in sync. Bye, bye, bye. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yep, <laughs> we're, we're on the same page there. Generally speaking, it helps you be in sync. So essentially to eliminate, reduce, or even temporarily mute the expression of this gene would just throw your body into chaos. The only reason that you wouldn't experience jet lag is because you have, would have no pattern whatsoever. It would eliminate jet lag by blowing up your sleep schedule and you just be sleeping at random times and awake for three days at a time and like random things like that. It'd be like burning down your house because it's dirty. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's no longer dirty, but it's also it's also no longer a house. So yep, that's true. That would be an interesting thing to like if there was no consequence for this, like and you had like a human being that you could just like flip on and off genes just to see what would happen for that period of time. Yeah. Like if, they, if like not in a real like maybe like in a simulation, because I imagine there's probably a gene that's like when you flip it off, all you do is just like just scream like that's all you can do. It's like you just scream into the void like like because there's just nothing else like you just your body is in utter chaos all the time like. It's wild that something that like that could just really mess like mess you up. So, I mean, I, it makes sense that genes would do that, but it's just really interesting to think about that. 
Yeah, yeah, the gene gene flipper uh, simulation. <laughs> so the symptoms of jet lag are widely varied, we could say. And yeah. the older you are, the more that they these symptoms present, right? They become a little bit more aggressive or they're a little bit tougher to deal with. So, for example, insomnia. Like if you are older, we we talked about this in the insomnia episode, that the older you get, the more likely you're to experience insomnia. But if you are experiencing insomnia as a result of jet lag, then it becomes a more prominent symptom that's tougher to deal with at the older you get. And some other ones, just to go through a few that we mentioned previously, appetite changes. People will experience either a heightened appetite, well, they'll want to snack a lot or eat more, or they'll experience low appetite where they won't eat very much. General gastrointestinal issues, experiencing some what almost feels like irritable bowel syndrome type things sometimes as, a, as an experience. Daytime sleepiness, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Difficulty with memory. And then some other new ones are things like when you are sleeping, having poorer sleep quality. And some other things too, like nausea, dizziness, anxiety, like those things can start to kind of crop up as a result of, of this particular phenomenon. Excessive need to urinate at night, which is interesting. I mean, because we're starting to talk about physiological changes, right? This isn't just yeah. about your sleep. This is about like actual physical ailments that come along. You become disoriented. You have poor psychomotor issues which is specifically a concern for traveling surgeons, right? Like you do not want to have a surgeon that's got jet lag. Yeah. That's going to be a real problem for you and for, for other people too. You know, anyone who has high stakes use of their hands or needs to do some kind of, as you said, sort of psychomotor type manipulations for their job or for whatever it is they're doing, this can be an issue. But I saw specifically when I was preparing for this, that they mentioned surgeons as this being potentially problematic for them because with traveling, if they're having an issue really controlling precisely their hands and they've got to be doing like cutting people open, you really want to make sure that they're over their jet lag before they're doing that. Yeah. I wonder how that is for musicians. I wonder like what that might look like because you, you know, especially for like, like really skilled musicians, like punk bands is not a problem. Like that's probably pretty easy. <laughs> um, like it's like literally four chords and stuff, but like more complicated bands, like, like metal bands or like, like, you know, symphonic musicians and stuff. I wonder how much of a challenge that is for them. I imagine it's probably pretty significant. This is why you can never tell if Taylor Swift has jet lag because she's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she just has that gene flipped off. She has that in-sync gene flipped off. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, super, super <laughs> chaos. Like total mode. chaos, yeah. Totally kidding to all those Taylor Swift fans. I just, I, I was honestly, it's, it's one of those things you just randomly pick someone to throw under the bus. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, the last the last two Taylor Swift records are actually pretty good. She she got to her indie roots and it's it's good stuff. She collaborated with like Bonnie Vare and the National and stuff, and it's good stuff. Did she really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're great. They're great. Like like very quiet indie records. They're not like big pop stadium records. So well, the Bonnie Vare thing specifically, I'd be interested to to check that out. Yeah. No, we <laughs> we don't hate Taylor Swift. <laughs> and yeah, Taylor Swift is fine enough. So there's also impaired alertness. You've got reduced cognitive skills and performances, depressed mood, not depression and not Depeche mode, depressed mood. It's a very different thing. And sleep issues that exacerbate existing issues with obesity, diabetes, depression, bipolar disorder and seasonal affective disorder. So like it has this like far reaching impact on people that are experiencing this even just for one flight. 
And so as we said, 94% of people are going to experience some amount of symptoms or problems from jet lag. But for most people, it's not going to be that severe. But yeah, for that 45% of people, they might have some or all of that list of things, hopefully not all, Yeah. but a good chunk of the things on there you could be experiencing. So with all of those problems, you know, we are in a race for a cure for jet lag. <laughs> yeah, it is a pervasive it is it is it's marathon time so let's talk about then sort of what what kind of treatments or approach to treatments have been out there so first it's worth acknowledging that this actually isn't a disease you know this is a side effect of a very modern ability to travel a very modern problem which is our ability to travel high speeds great distances yeah also something to consider as our bodies are really good at regulating our sleep wake patterns so the experience of jet lag is always just going to be a temporary adjustment. However, this can become a really serious issue for people who travel frequently, particularly if they're crossing a lot of time zones, unless you're George Clooney and up in the air, in which case you're fine. That's a very specific reference. I haven't seen up in the air in many, many years. I haven't either, but I remember really enjoying it. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a, a, a George Clooney is a fun actor to watch. Now, whenever there is discomfort, there is an enterprising group of people eagerly trying to make a buck fixing the issue, right? So you see this kind of this market for jet lag treatment. That's it's really kind of it's wild. I mean, like you I mean, you'll see this with just literally anything. I mean, I think about like any sort of like new ailment. There's always some new kind of like snake oil salesman that shows up to do this. But there is an industry for fixing, quote unquote. Jet lag. As a matter of fact, there was a $4 million grant for Harvard researchers to investigate countermeasures for this. So people find this like problematic enough that they throw a lot of money at this. Yeah, it's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, really? Seriously? I mean, I, I would probably pay off like half my student loans with $4 million. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the industry has reached $429.8 million as of 2020, and it is expected to reach $571.8 million by 2027. I think this is the last episode of the podcast because now we're going to go into jet lag treatment business. See y'all later. Yeah, $571 million sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are we doing here? We're just talking into a microphone in our living rooms. Yeah, I could take 1% of that and be wealthier than my entire life's earnings put together assuming that i worked until i was 80 and then retired yeah there you go <laughs> so <laughs> that's a that's a hefty chunk of change uh-huh for sure for sure see ya see ya folks we're done here <laughs> man and this is all again just to be clear this is all money that's going toward so-called treatments for jet lag so let's let's talk about some of the purchasable treatments that are out there one of the things you have is herbal remedies. You can, you know, take cayenne pepper or probably like a lion's mane mushroom or something. Uh-huh. There, there's tons. <laughs> I'm not going to list all the different herbs there are in the world, but mostly what's probably going to happen here is a placebo effect. They're unlikely to be able to actually shift your circadian rhythm in any meaningful way. One thing to consider is if you maybe weren't taking very good care of your health and by taking herbs, you introduce some important nutrients into your body, then you might be improving your overall health and therefore might ultimately improve your experience with jet lag. Yeah. Evidence is a little unclear. So it's not to say it wouldn't do anything, but it's not going to be a magic pill and it's certainly not going to prevent it altogether. Right. And that brings us to also homeopathic treatments, or as we like to call it, magic water. That's right. That just reminds me of that show Dark Water that was on TV, uh, Pirates of Dark Water. Oh, I don't know that one. 
Oh, they never finished it. So there, oh, cool. it's great. If you if you really like shows with like cliffhangers that never get resolved, it's a great watch. It's horror. It's I. It's so stressful. <laughs> but also homeopathic treatments, they have a placebo effect at, at best, right? So it's unregulated. So depending on you know what they put in, what they put on, all that stuff, it could make you sick. There's a lot of stuff that goes along with it. Not recommended. Homeopathic treatments not recommended. Yeah. Similarly, you have acupressure kits. These basically work primarily on wishful thinking, which is to say <laughs> you might get a placebo effect from this as well. No evidence to support this as being helpful in assisting with um, jet lag or life, but um, there's that. Okay. And there's another treatment, shining black lights at the back of your knees. I'm going to stop right here for a second because this is the first time I've read this. Abraham, is this is this a real thing that you've pulled? This is real research. This isn't like a joke. Oh, 100%. Did you not actually know about this one? I've never heard of this. Yeah, they actually would. They developed these sort of, Um, it was weird. They kind of looked like, you know, those freezer bags you'd put in like lunch boxes. That's like, it's like a flexible bag of mush and you'd freeze it and then put it in your lunch box to keep your lunch yeah, cold. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of looked like that, but apparently it was filled with like LED black lights and they literally strapped them to the right behind people's knees and have them sleep with them on the back of their knees. And this was the study published in like 1998. OK, OK. 1998 makes sense okay. because at the time, at the time, like that's when you could go to like Spencer's and get those like black light posters that had the black felt on them, too. So like yeah. you could get your ICP, like, you know, great Malenko poster and put it up in your office and all that stuff so or your, your icp um, magnets or magic poster <laughs> yes yes oh those are the days this was yeah this is all based on the study they had this experiment what they did is they kept people awake or they put these black lights behind their knees and had them sleep they kept people awake by essentially having a tv on that was playing so there was both flashing lights and noises and then they had people sleeping normally with like black lights behind their knees <laughs> and the experimental group and they're like look it helps cure jet lag and that was sort of the thing follow-up research showed that this was all a bunch of nonsense and did nothing but what they did find is that it doesn't have no effect like shining light on your skin can very much have an effect and in this particular case it could actually cause certain types of skin cancer so oh my god that, that was their uh that was their major contribution to the world Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. As seen on TV. Wild, wild. I'm just waiting for the sham, like some sham wow study to come out and just be like, oh, this causes like a brand new like type of mold. <laughs> yes. Great. Fantastic. Thanks for that contribution. There's also sleeping medication that can help with this. Yeah. Sleeping pills. Sleeping pills. But doctors give a hard no on this only because uh, it, it doesn't reset your clock or it doesn't like help you adjust. Right. It's not just helping you get to sleep. But it really kind of like messes with your sleep cycles in a, in a weird way. Like it messes with your naturally occurring sleep cycles. Our bodies don't rest as well while we're in a sitting position, while, while we're traveling. So we're not going to sleep well sitting up anyway. Despite there were some people that did that in the 1800s. Frederick Douglass in particular was somebody who slept in a half bed and slept sitting up. So yeah, um, I think Benjamin Franklin maybe tried this. Yeah, it does not work. does not work. You know, we tried this hypothesis in the 1800s. All the way up through there, sleeping, sitting up, not really a great thing. Not really great for your sleep. So, and sleeping pills don't really do that for you either. They don't really improve your sleep. Yeah. And to be specific, essentially what they were trying to avoid was people trying to reset their sleep schedule using sleeping pills, particularly while they were already traveling. And so that's, that's why doctors are like, nope. Cause like some people, they use sleeping pills and it's not necessarily a problem for them. Although I'm not sure. I'm just not clear on the research in terms of the long term effects of being, I guess, 
dependent on sleeping pills for your sleeping. But as far as trying to reset it while you're traveling, that one's pretty much like, nope, don't do that. That's not going to work. And kind of messes up, as you said, messes up your body. Yep, absolutely. Another one is exactly related to that, which is people who will just try to adjust their sleep while they're traveling by forcing themselves to sleep at specific times. Again, this is just unlikely to work for the same reasons mentioned. It just doesn't work like that. You can't just be like, and now we're sleeping at different times. Good luck with that body. Right. And then there's also melatonin. You've probably seen this and people have probably tried to use this. It can be effective for some, but not everybody. And the research is kind of mixed on this. It doesn't really show a lot of great effects. The effects themselves that they've demonstrated have been pretty weak. And so it might work, uh, but it depends on how you respond to things like that. So our guess is that if you are suggestible, it'll probably work better. So other placebo-based interventions. So you could probably just take whatever pill that tells you that you're going to sleep better and change your cycle. And that will probably help just as much. Yeah. Yeah. Just take your magic water. Yeah, yeah. And your your wishful thinking kit. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Okay, so we've talked about the the fad treatments that you can purchase. Let's go ahead and now turn to the free things which come from the experts. Now, not that half of the people in the United States will listen to experts, but hey, (laughs) they probably aren't listening to us and we have lots of listeners outside of the US. So we'll go over here is what we actually do know about how you can manage and deal with and avoid jet lag. Now, primarily what this really is, this is a behavioral intervention. You start training your body on a new schedule before you leave for an an upcoming trip. If you're heading east, you want to start going to bed an hour earlier for several nights, and you try and just adjust your light exposure to match your shifting and waking times. So, for example, if you are going to bed earlier, you want to be trying to get out of light a little bit earlier again shifting it by about an hour and when you wake up you actually want to be waking up into light earlier than you normally would be and this is again if you're traveling east if it's you're going west it's just the opposite of that you're just going to try and stay up a little bit later and then avoid light when you get up in the morning you can wear dark sunglasses you can just stay inside until it's been about an hour and then you can you know again sort of get used to light but that's a way that you can sort of train your your body to start to get used to this and the exposure to light is a key piece of this, but also the when you go to bed times, because if you shift it by just an hour, you really don't notice that in terms of your overall biological clock shifting. And so if you just do this for about a week or two, this recommendation what came from multiple experts across multiple sources. That is really the trick more than anything is just preparing your body for a shift in its waking and sleeping routine. And that makes sense. So my question would be, if you're traveling, let's say you're traveling across multiple time zones, like let's say you're traveling to my time zone and which is three hours difference. Are you, do you have to change your schedule by three hours or just one hour? Is it one hour per zone or what is that? What does that look like? So you want to try and get it to be relatively close to the zone that you're going to be going to. It doesn't have to be super extreme, but if any amount of hours that you're able to shift your body, the easier it's going to make that transition overall. Also, if you can, if you're traveling at night, you can sleep during that nighttime. That's helpful. You can take a little nap when you arrive if you need to, but it should be short. And then some other things that I mean, there's other recommendations we'll talk about, but yeah, essentially you want to keep it relatively close. Oh, and another thing that I was going to mention here is you also want to adjust your eating schedule to match the new schedule as well as you're doing your sleeping schedule thing. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. I like that. All right. So there's also melatonin. So you can take this 0.5 milligrams, about 4.5 hours before bedtime and progressively adjust when you take the doses to earlier in the day. So again, if you're traveling east, you're kind of like moving it earlier in the day. You're going to reverse that if you're traveling west where you're going to kind of take it a little bit later 
as you're staying up late. So that's so you have to adjust kind of like east is moving earlier, west is moving later. Right. The CDC uh, suggests that you have, a, if you don't have one already, it can help to adopt an exercise routine. If you already have one, just maintain the exercise routine. Having a healthy diet can be helpful and getting a good amount of rest again in the weeks leading up to your trip is all really helpful. Essentially, there's just a hypothesis that being healthy means that you're healthier. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, Uh uh just being very obvious about that. Uh, But primarily that being healthier and meaning that you're healthier also results in you more quickly recovering from a change to your sleep schedule. Yeah, and that makes sense. And and like we've talked about this on some of the sleep episodes as well. Avoid caffeine and alcohol if you can. Those will definitely disrupt your sleep a little bit. But drink plenty of water while you're in flight. So that comes from the CDC and who? The CDC who? CDC who? <laughs> There's something about like traveling just in general and like moving across altitudes and stuff too that can like shockingly dehydrate people. So make yeah. sure that you're drinking plenty of water in those spaces. Now, the experts do give the advice to not stress about your jet lag. Which I think is great advice. I don't know why they don't just give that to people with anxiety. (laughs) Just like, stop stressing about things, you know? Don't worry. You worry too much. Stop that. (laughs) Obviously, I think that's terrible advice. If if people could just not stress about it, then they obviously would. Right. I guess letting you know that, like, you could get in your own sort of head about the, the issue and make it more of a problem than it needs to be is a valid concern. I just think it's kind of a, a silly thing to say, you know, if, like, you're anxious about your jet lag and you're like, well... I'm going to give you my doctor's advice and that's don't be anxious about your jet lag. I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, why yeah, don't you just give thanks. me the advice to not have jet lag in that point? Yeah, exactly. That would work just the same. All right. So let's talk a little bit about a sort of behavioral perspective. Cause we've already mentioned the approach to dealing with this is essentially a behavioral approach. It is changing your behavior to uh, fix an issue. It costs you nothing. Yeah. And so part of, I think, the consideration for helping someone to change their behavior is recognizing what is important to you. You won't do anything about it or at least anything safe about it if you're unmotivated to do so. And so it's helpful to be oriented toward like, if you're not going to change your behavior, then you're just going to experience jet lag. And you just are recognizing that your comfortability or your comfortableness with this is just not that big of a deal or your lack thereof. And that's fine if that's where you're at. But I think if it is something that's important to you, then like getting that perspective to help identify what kinds of things you can do to then help you shift your behavior toward avoiding jet lag. And also too, one thing that will help and just like any sort of like intervention is having support, just kind of like maybe some accountability, maybe somebody who can kind of remind you like, and, and maybe kind of work through some stuff with you. This could be a significant other or a friend, but having support for any intervention and specifically when it comes to sleep is, is, is super helpful. Of course, practicing good sleep hygiene is very important. We've talked about that. See our episode on 10 ways to ruin your sleep to hear what good sleep hygiene consists of. So I'm not going to go into that in depth here, but that is something else that is, if you are doing that as part of your routine, that will help mitigate the effects of jet lag. And at the end of the day, you want to leverage relevant cues that support voluntary and involuntary sleep behavior. So you want to make sure if you can identify the things that make you sleepy, identify the things that keep you up, change those things, manipulate those things that will help kind of set the environment up so that you can sleep easier. Yeah, exactly. You just, you want to figure out, the kinds of things that you're doing that are affecting your behaviors around your sleep routine. Those are the things that you can, as you said, sort of leverage. And sometimes it's like, you know, some people, they really like putting on a movie or music or a show when they fall asleep. 
And that's fine. You know, I think it doesn't necessarily matter, but you want to figure out how can you then make that part of your routine in such a way that that's going to help you deal with this rather than make it harder. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like, it's really only available if you do the right things. Like you only get to do those things if you are going (laughs) to bed at the right times, if you're following your routine the way you're supposed to, et cetera. I like that perspective. Cool. All right. I found a, a few other kind of interesting things that I thought were fun. As I mentioned, the whole East versus West traveling thing, you would think that it doesn't necessarily matter maybe which direction you're going because one way or another, you're kind of messing up your sleep cycle. But the vast majority of people report experiencing worse jet lag when they're traveling from West to the East. So when they're headed East, and this is again, sort of because your body thinks quote unquote, speaking colloquially here, that it is many hours behind the local time where you were at normally. So for example, it might be 8 a.m. at your destination, but it's still 2 a.m. back at home where your body's clock was most recently set, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's funny. It's like thinking about that. It's like I, when I think about like being tired traveling, I think even whether I'm going east to west, west to east, mostly what I'm just figuring out is like, I'm just tired from traveling. Like, I'm just like, just like a long day of like, like moving around and like get it, you know, like, so I, I always kind of attribute to that. So I wonder if I have had jet lag. Yeah, maybe, maybe I have. However, people don't tend to report jet lag traveling North to South. So I can't say that I've had that experience traveling North to South. So hmm. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, I don't know. It makes sense. If you really understand that jet lag comes from crossing time zones, that if you're not crossing time zones, you're just heading from North to South that, or South to North that you wouldn't necessarily experience it but you also for people who think that it's more related to the act of traveling which as you said traveling itself is an exhausting activity so it's possible yeah but most people tend to not experience uh, or report experiencing jet lag if they're traveling not across time zones okay another interesting thing at least i thought it was interesting is thinking about how we've kind of pretty badly uh train wrecked the current planet we're on Really the only one we've got but we're sort of like eh too bad <laughs> throw it in the trash yeah I'm done with you Shocks. that people are looking to colonize mars as a potentially habitable other neighborly place to be that's a, a very very tall order but nevertheless they're looking at doing so and what's an important consideration there is that one single day also called a sol or a sol sol for solar like cycle basically see yeah. the martian for use of that term in excess so one day on mars is just a little longer than a day on earth so it will be extremely difficult for residents of mars to get used to the new sort of day night cycle in fact it might actually take generations to adjust to that schedule of actually getting used to operating on a little bit longer of a day that sounds wild to think about but then there's also like parts of earth that have like extended periods of night and extended periods of day where people have lived there for so long they've adjusted to that too yeah so you know it's like kind of interesting to kind of look at this when especially when we're talking about the idea of light being a trigger for some of your circadian rhythm issues like this is something that we would have to account for yeah like the the researchers who live in antarctica who have days during the summer where the sun literally never sets and people who live in alaska who experienced 30 days of night where the vampires attack yeah no thanks that's why i don't go to alaska (laughs) ready for some take-home points let's do it okay so i think an important thing to walk away from this episode with is that jet lag is not a disease it can be uncomfortable and have unpleasant psychological and other health implications but yeah i think that it's just worth noting that it can kind of suck 
it's not actually a disease the way we think of diseases. Right. And it's temporary, which is like a nice thing to think about, too. Yeah. Important point. Another thing, too, is that it's worse for people who are older and who travel a lot. They probably experience it way more intensely because for any number of reasons. But typically it's more folks who are older are impacted more greatly. Like so many things, there are a thousand treatments for this that do nothing but cost you money. But the real cures, if you will, that we found are largely prevention efforts. They really just have to do with changing your behavior in such a way that you make it more likely that you can easily adjust to a new day and night routine. So going to bed a little bit earlier, waking up a little bit earlier, modifying your eating schedule and your exposure to light to match that. Or doing the reverse, you know, um, going to bed later, waking up later, but still matching your sleeping and eating to meet that new schedule. And those are all things that can help actually mitigate the effects of it. And they don't cost you anything. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Free stuff? You would think. You would think. But people don't like free stuff. I mean, I don't have any other take on points. I mean, I think I think that covers it. Right. Well, in that case, let's talk about some recommendations. Recommendations. recommendations my pick this week is a new album i like to keep up with bands i like and i've been doing this for a long time and my new album came out just this friday as of this recording is called six by the bronx and it's spelled with roman numerals did you ever listen to the bronx i have never even heard of the bronx this band let me tell you i grew up in a house that like loved rock and roll like just like good like like blues based rock and roll like i can't tell you how often we listen to aerosmith and led zeppelin and like all like just like just always rock and roll well the bronx is a punk band from la that like kind of has this like rock and roll feel to it this is the sixth album they've been a band for like almost 20 years and more recently they are touring with the dropkick murphys and rancid wow so on my recent trip i got to see the Bronx play and they are one of the best live bands I have ever seen. Nice. The drummer is incredible. He was in the Queens of the Stone Age. He played in Danzig for a little bit. So it's like a weird makeup of the band, but um, they're really, it's a really great record. It's just a good rock and roll record. Cool. Also just a side note, this band also has a side project called Mariachi El Bronx, which is all the members of the band playing mariachi songs. Interesting. And it's done well too. I like it. Gotta love it when bands use Roman numerals in their album titles. Yeah, this band is, and this band has done that forever. It's great. Yeah, long tradition starting probably with Led Zeppelin or who knows, maybe not. Yeah, I could see them be like, like kind of like copying that style from Led Zeppelin because they are very much so rock and roll. Man, you know who, uh, just while we're talking about that, probably one of the, the better bands that I saw live that surprised me was Jimmy Eat World. Oh, yeah. And it, I wasn't surprised that they were good live. I was surprised at how good they were live because they were like amazingly good. Huh. And I was like, I thought that they'd be fine. Like they'd be most bands. You see them and they're like, yeah, that was really good. They were like really good. I was impressed. And honestly, that's how it was with the Bronx. I was like, oh, they're going to be good. Like they're a good, like energetic band. And I was like, holy, holy moly is what I said out loud. <laughs> it is. It's cool. very, yeah. Yeah. It was, was very, they were very holy moly live. <laughs> What a gentle uh, exclamation <laughs> that is. I'm working on I, this. I want I'm to exclaim that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would like to exclaim. I think bonus recommend exclaim. Holy moly. Next time something is impressive to you. Yeah. Lean heavy into your uh, your Batman and Robin from the 1960s. Yeah. What is a moly, by the way? I don't know. Oh, just a, just a word that rhymes with holy, I guess. Yeah. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up. Maybe it was on Liar Liar, the guy who had the mole and he kept pointing to it and he's like mole 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 mole. <laughs> I thought that was Austin Powers. Oh, you're right. I think it was Austin Powers. You're right. I think I think there is a mole scene in 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 Liar Liar though, where he call he like tells somebody they have a mole or something like that. I feel like that's okay. I feel like that's I feel like you're there. I feel like that makes sense. <laughs> no, but I, but I think what I was thinking of was specifically uh, Austin Powers though is <laughs> confused uh, Mike Myers and Jim Carrey somehow. What a strange time we live in. Indeed. That there are three there are three Austin Powers movies by the way. That is a fact. Yeah. Yeah. They were actually really fun. I re- I revisited those just a couple of years ago and they were a lot of fun. Yeah. Interesting that they, they, they spend so much money on those movies. That is interesting. <laughs> we're still talking about recommendations. Yeah. So my recommendation <laughs> was actually a Netflix documentary called My Octopus Teacher. This was in the Academy Awards for this last cycle, I believe. Not a whole lot to say about it. I mean, it is about a guy who is diving in the ocean. He discovers this octopus and sort of slowly builds a relationship with it through its life span octopuses don't live super long and so i guess i'll fair warn people that this goes through pretty much its whole life oh from the point at which the guy meets it um to the end so but it it's very sweet documentary it's got some teary moments but also some joyful moments very beautifully done I don't know. I really enjoyed it. So my octopus teacher on Netflix, speaking of Netflix, Netflix is a streaming service that offers a wide variety of award-winning TV shows, movies, anime, documentaries, and more (laughs) on thousands of internet connected devices. You can watch as much as you want, whenever you want, without a single commercial, all for one low monthly price. There's always something new to discover and new TV shows and movies are added every week. So now Netflix, you have to sponsor our show. (laughs) I was wondering where that was going. I was like, this is great. Uh, Yeah. Send us money, Netflix. (laughs) That's right. I'm forcing your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was great. I love that. I love that so much. The surprise ad. (laughs) Do you have anything else? I don't have anything else there. How can you, how we can't, that, that couldn't have ended better. Uh, great. Okay, so I want to say thank you to all of the people who support us on Patreon. That is Amanda, Justine, Layla, Megan, Mike M, Mike T, and Shauna. Hey, and if you would like to join that list of people, I will shout out your name as well. And when you join, depending on the level at which you join our Patreon, you get access to some bonus stuff. You get bonus episodes once a month. You'll get a video of us recording these, which we usually spend like a good 15 to 20 minutes just like bantering before an episode actually starts. That's all part of the video. That's true. And that's probably the most fun part of the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Watching us record. Then you also get access to uncut episodes. You can get our set, our notes from episodes if you'd like. Uh, So all kinds of stuff is available to you. You can just go to patreon.com, sign up for whatever tier makes the most sense for you. Sign up for as little or as long as you'd like. And uh, you also get access to our Discord server where we've got people who talk to one another about how much they love our episodes or random things that are coming up in their lives and all that sort of thing. You can also uh, communicate directly with us through that that platform. I'd also like to thank uh, Justin Greenhouse for his amazing editing and audio work on all of these episodes. Amber for her role in social media. Shane, thank you for recording with me today. Anytime. And all of the work that you do. Thanks to Selena, Kyle, and Alan, who are also part of the team. And thank you to me for, for being the rock. <laughs> <laughs> being being the, the, the most consistent person on the show from the beginning. <laughs> totally kidding on that last part. But anyway. <laughs> yes. No, thank you. Thank you to the team. People don't realize how hard they work. They work really, really yeah. hard behind the scenes. Like, they are really like a, a backing force for this show. 
Yeah, they are wonderful, a critical contribution for which this show would not exist without their help. And also, we would not exist if we did not have our listeners. So thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to tell us about a documentary you like and a band that you've seen live or your pseudo treatments for jet lag or real treatments for jet lag, we'd really like to hear those and we'd be more than happy to share them on an episode of Why We Do What We Do. You can reach us at info at www.wwdpodcast.com. You can also reach out to us on all the social media platforms. And hey, if you would like to support the show without doing any of those things, you could always just click those stars on iTunes. Click five stars all all the way to the top. And Mm -hmm. if you have a little extra time, you can also accompany those stars with the review. The stars take like one second. Just go ahead and click those. It'll make you feel good. And the review, that takes a little bit longer. But if you you can do it, then we'll, uh, we'll super appreciate that. Yeah. So anyway, I think that is all that I have. That's all I've got, too. All right, perfect. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. They flew mice from Washington to Paris every week. So these mice are flying. They are well-traveled. Sorry, we might have to reset the section. I realized I wrote that somewhat ambiguously. What was happening is they were, they didn't actually fly them, although I set them up to to pretend like they did. But what they were doing is they were advancing their sleep schedule six hours and they would do this once a week. So once a week, they would basically start, they'd move them up six hours as if they were changing the time zones in that way. I I realized now I was writing sort of shorthand and and that it, it it didn't read that way. Yeah, that reads that they're flying to Paris. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely does.